Hi, Jeremy. Hello, Raphael. Yeah. Hey, that's a. There's an interview with Salvador Dali, and then they ask him what he loves, and he says, "I love money." And he, <laughs> dollars. And, It's hey, true. We got, I mean, I gotta mix up different countries he, all over the world. Also, speak with yeah. different rhythms. And he says, "A divine diarrhea of dollars." That's what he wanted. <laughs> Uh, if this was Scandinavia, though, I might pronounce your name like Raphael. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, there's a friend yeah. of mine from Berlin, and her grandfather was a Swedish TV chef, and mm. the, the chef from the Muppets was based on her grandfather. Yeah. No. Yeah. Really? <laughs> did he take insult or did he? That's one of the most beloved characters of the Muppets. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And I think it's funny when you look at the references. The the drummer from the Muppets, I think, was based on the drummer from the Who. Mm-hmm. Animal. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we saw an, a nice Muppets movie the other day at Metrograph. It was, it was nice to see. Like an older Muppets movie. Yeah, but it's nice to see how. Uh, I mean, that was a pretty big mainstream movie, but how handmade it felt and how. Uh, it it looked now it looks like an indie movie with zero budget. Mm -hmm. But back then that was a pretty big movie. When those, when those remakes came out, we, it's like we start every episode now talking about movies. <laughs> But when the new remakes came out, I remember uh, thinking like, "Wow, I don't remember the early ones being so depressing." Was the <laughs> yeah? Like it, it, I think there was a time when children's uh, books and humor, like Roald Dahl, like it's all pretty dark. Hmm. And were, so were they, was it kind of dark, this one that you just uh, saw recently? No, no. It, it was a Christmas thing. It was a jolly. Ooh, that's the darkest time of year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think, um, I think children, uh, okay, they, they're smarter than you think, so it's, they like subversive humor in, in, in their world. Like, you, you can't get too much into difficult references, but they can get a lot of emotional layers and... Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, my mother um, raised me as if I was like an adult peer. Uh, <laughs> so she's like, she's telling me about taxes and investing when I was four or five. Uh, yeah. And she never used like baby talk, so she never would talk down to her. Yeah, child. but but um, what do you do nowadays when the, when you're like accidentally your kid watches the news and it's like, "Mommy, are we gonna die tomorrow?" <laughs> yes, probably. It's a seventy percent chance. She was pretty straight up about that because she had survived the war as a refugee. But okay. any, uh, you know, like she, she was just like, it was between my grandparents who were also terrifying, having survived famine. Like if you didn't, if you left like a scrap of food, like what do you think you're doing? <laughs> There is something starved. It, it, I mean, it, it sucks to go through hardship, but if you grow up in hardship and then you move up, that I think that gives you a very the opposite of a of a privileged person of a wealthy family who never has to work and they're mm -hmm. so spoiled that you you grow up in paradise and everything after that is disappointment but if you start at the bottom it's a nice well, trajectory it's i was i was literally just reading we'll get to today's topic people in a second but hey <laughs> <laughs> i was just reading a thing in the new york times about bike sharing in china that it's gone like they ha it got went crazy so there's like bikes strewn about everywhere because they don't have docking stations it's like in hamburg or i think in amsterdam did it no you have to place a shared bike and bike parking 
There's not so many shared bikes in the Netherlands. People have their own. No, they have their own bikes. But I'm thinking the only city I've been in where you can just like leave the bike by the side of the road and not put it in a docking station is in uh, Hamburg, I think. Okay. I've been. Like I, I think DB they bikes. started that now in, in Amsterdam uh, because you... And then it has a smart lock or something, so it doesn't have to... It just... You have an yeah. app and you can unlock it and it charges yeah. you. Yeah, they have GPS things. You can find them on a map. So, yeah, the DB bikes in Hamburg are like that. But this... Uh, in China, there's like 25 competitors and, and they've like bought thousands, hundreds of thousands of bikes. And there are like literally piles of bikes in some places or bikes just like tossed yeah. in the rivers. Well, that's like hanging that's kind of trees. the post-scarcity economy where it's like bikes are so cheap to make. Mm-hmm. And then the the cost is not the just like with sodas, the cost is not the material. It, the cost is the advertising and the distribution. So right, but maybe re- it's the, the same re- with bikes. Like they want their logo on it. They don't care if people use it or not. It's just free advertising. What kind of what? Why I brought it up in relationship with like hardship and stuff is, um, like the Chinese in this article anyway. They're saying the Chinese were like, it was like this reflective mirror of like how far um, the morals and ethics of Chinese people had fallen, you know. And they were trying to explain this as because they went through so much hardship, a lot of people feel and this is probably incorrect but this is the article's point of view that they can you know just take advantage of the world now because they survived old china now in new china they can like kind of you know be excessive if you will so it's like oh this bike i just threw it to the side <laughs> it's like i'll pick up another one over there <laughs> yeah. i don't even care whatever yeah uh so it was they had an expression for like this low uh kind of it's like yeah, this low this, obligation this different to your stage, fellow. It's like that people would make fun of that and call that new money. It's like new well, money behavior. My mom was someone kind of like that. She's like, uh, she was a bit nouveau riche. I hope mom's not listening. <laughs> <She's> <laughs> like, she, because she wasn't from money when she had uh, quite a lot of money. She she wore like fur coats when I was growing up. <laughs> she, she, <laughs> she, she, would, she would try, uh, she would use a fur coat as a towel after the shower. Exactly. Yeah. And like she had, this was for a very brief period until we almost went bankrupt. As, but during this brief period in the 80s, I also had all my clothes custom made by a tailor. <laughs> so I had my own <laughs> Little Jeremy designer. going about the town. <laughs> yeah. So she, and she talks about this time as the best time in her life. And it was this time of, I guess, reflection. That was her big reflection or, or her the mirror of you know, having survived. Yeah, being responsible is really boring. So if, if you for a while don't have to be responsible. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, well, there, there's there's a thing maybe that we can reflect on for artists. I think artists go th- a lot through ups and downs. So all of a sudden mm. you're riding a wave, and you're like, oh, it's only going to go up, so might as well <laughs> live a little. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. You think it's just going to keep going up and up and up. Yeah. But uh, which brings us maybe to actually that's a good segue, right? Yeah. To the excesses of uh, yeah, that is a good segue when you, when you think of, of internet companies and they always think, well, we're the ruler, and then all of a sudden something else comes along. Yeah, and the last bubble in the dot com uh, revolution that burst happened right after a war similar to my mother coming out as a refugee <laughs> in Eastern Europe. The the browser wars, of <laughs> <laughs> the late nineties. Everything's a war left, now. Huh? Left yeah. corporate refugees all over. <laughs> <laughs> But we wanted to talk. (laughs) We wanted to talk about browsers today, right? I can't believe I have to fly a commercial. (laughs) (laughs) But early on, there weren't very many choices. If we get back also to that China example, uh, when you started on the internet, what did you use as a browser? What was your your first web browser? Uh, It was probably Netscape. I I I remember 
we had there was internet in the library you didn't use a mosaic or whatever I don't think I knew what I was using. I just knew there was like an <laughs> internet application and you open it up. I do remember, so I, I tried a little bit at the library. There was a free mm-hmm. internet computer there. And then we got it at home with the dial-in and it was super slow and you look things up. And I remember I didn't know the browser had a bookmarks feature, so I would write websites down that I liked. <laughs> like on a, on a pad of paper? paper? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that could have become like uh, delicious or something or... What were all those link storing websites that came yeah, along? There was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Well, first you had Yahoo, which was a dig. link directory. And I remember just going on the web, and I, I think I would... There wasn't really a search, because there was a search in the browser, but it wasn't really tied to any search engine. I don't even know how that worked. <laughs> Is it, it's really funny when you think about the fundamentals, and it's like they didn't exist yet. I remember having to type HTTP and always getting it wrong, like fumbling. Oh, was wasn't it two this, it, Wasn't it Tim Berners-Lee who apologized for HTTP? It's like, yeah, that was really unnecessary. It's but the made, fact that it took browsers, you know, I don't know, five years to figure out, hey, we could just fill that part out for you. It's always the same. <laughs> yeah, but he, like several people I read that wrote long apologies because that's like when engineers, they're so used to coding and they're like, yeah, they can remember a tag. Yeah. Yeah, but you would like, I remember, you know, people would advertise their websites on TV and stuff, and they would, like, you might be watching the news, and they'd be like, visit us on the web at HTTP, forward, forward, slash, and all of that actually, I think, actually alienated an audience for a good, like, few years. And for good, I think we should alienate people, and the web should be for nerds, yeah. So that was, yeah, that was like the nerds way of saying, like, hey, only for people who get what backslashes. I was talking to a friend that... Maybe the good thing that would come out of net neutrality disappearing is that the slow web that would be for the independents would actually mm-hmm. be more like the old web where you had to be really frugal with your bits. So you have to pick really small images and uh, there's something great about low bandwidth. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's what I remember about those early web days, to be honest with you, is just before that I had been, before browsers, I used um, like something called Hotline. And before that, I used like BBS. I used Hotline to download movies and software, things like that. Yeah. So for those that don't know, like Hotline was pretty amazing. It was, it was like very the last Mac, time, right? Yeah, yeah. It was the last time I felt the internet for me anyway was like person to person, like human. Because that's to kind human. of another browser. Yeah. It's a completely yeah. different protocol. I think it was like what Tor is now. I'm mm. not a big Tor user, but like it was like an underbelly of like network computers where you could get wares, which are illegal software. Yeah. Um, Do you remember the, 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 there was a app for serial numbers on the Mac and the whole thing was, the window was a big skull and if you would copy yeah. a serial number, the eyes would light up red? Of course. Yeah, yeah. that was, um, they had serial different surfers. names. Serial surfers? <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. right. I actually looked that up recently because I, uh, I got my hands on some software that <laughs> and I was like, I wonder if this is still around. <laughs> and it, it would uh, play a MIDI song. As long as it did it open. play a MIDI song? Not on yeah. the Mac, I don't know if it did. Or was that on the Mac? Yeah, yeah, mm. I think so. I never got to hear that. But yeah. actually, MIDI was one of the first things that I was really excited about on the internet when I was a young boy. I started surfing like MIDI sites, and I was like, this is incredible. Yeah. It's like all this free music. <laughs> it was like yeah, Spotify. And that was the weird thing, because MIDI is the equivalent for music, what Vector is for images. Mm-hmm. And so I always thought, why isn't the web all in vector? Because it would be so low bandwidth. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I chose that route for my work. But um, but someone that, else had that idea. 
Yeah, but SVG took so long to implement. It, no, but it, I mean, prior to that, like, I mean, Adobe had that idea with Flash, right? No, well, it, it was Macromedia before that. But I'm saying at the at the foundation of the web, you had tables, you had images, you had MIDI. And MIDI is a vectorization, like a simplification or a, a diagram of complex things such as music. Mm-hmm. And so vector images are a diagram of, of more complex photographic images. It, it would have made a lot of sense at the foundation of the web, if you ask me. Yeah, if they had thought that way. But I don't but think it, they were it, thinking They made SVG and then... Well, this is maybe the interesting thing, that because the web is an open uh, standard, all the companies had to agree on the next feature. So if right. somebody was like, we're going to implement SVG, but then... Microsoft wouldn't implement it, and then if Microsoft doesn't implement it, you can't really use it. Right, and there was a lot of uh, a lot of trouble. So I've worked in internet long enough that I know the Internet Explorer didn't obey those rules no, at all. No, no, so they had was, their own way. <laughs> and it was the dominant browser, and of course that led to an, the anti famous antitrust case uh, between it and Netscape for like installing the Win in Windows Explorer as def- default browser on on Windows. Which, which is so funny now, you can't even really uh, operate any other browser on iOS. You can kind of skin their browser, but you you can't have your own rendering engine on mm. iOS. So the things that Microsoft was fined for at the time are really mild now. Mm-hmm. Because you, what you're referring to is on iOS, almost all browsers need to be built on top of WebKit, yeah. which is built on top of the, I think, the Gecko engine, which is actually the original open source code that came out of the Mozilla Foundation. We're, uh, we're on slippery ground Firefox. here because I think there's, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of nerds where you're going like, uh, no, well, that's not true. I, we should talk about Firefox. I mean, I don't know at what point in the podcast we want to talk about it, but like amidst all of the capitalism of that early era and competition and Netscape, you know, had this huge head start. You're right. Like everyone used Netscape, right? But then it was Internet Mosaic Explorer. before that and then Netscape came along. Yeah. I don't know the story, actually, because I was too young. Well, in terms maybe, of like, maybe we shouldn't go with the, the, the factual story, but more a personal history of which browsers we use. So we, because, so we don't get called out. No, but also because <laughs> the, that it might be interesting if we use different browsers. or mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I probably started with Netscape and then went to Internet Explorer. Yeah, okay, so I, I started with Netscape and then I went to Firefox. So you never um, used Explorer? I Yeah, no, I loathe to use Explorer. I used Explorer actually for a couple of years, I remember, on iOS 9. Oh, not iOS 9, OS 9. Like on yeah, because there was a time when I think Microsoft invested in Apple, mm-hmm. and they made a deal, and uh, they were not allowed to make their own browser, yeah, but yeah. they had to have uh, Explorer on there, and then, of course, Microsoft would put very little resources on Explorer. That's right. So it was when very Steve slow. Jobs came back to Apple, I remember that being like a story. Like, because I, I, Microsoft... He signed a deal it. with the devil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. Mac fans everywhere were like, no, Jobs, how could you? The Oracle <laughs> returns only to deceive us. <laughs> uh, and I do remember, yeah, because that version of uh, Internet Explorer, which I think was like version 5. Man, that version um, was problematic. But it had all these clicky noises. I remember yeah. or something like there was something. There was something about it that I remember. It would being just like, crash all the time. I just remember, and this was a big part of why I, I decided at the time to move towards Flash because Flash just behaved the same in every browser. Mm-hmm. And if you made things in JavaScript, you had to write all these exceptions for each mm-hmm. browser. Nowadays, it's much more standardized. 
And JavaScript back then was pretty young. There was, you know, most things were written in backend. You couldn't PHP, ri- right? write images with JavaScript. You couldn't write. Now you can, in JavaScript, you can write to Canvas, which is a pretty recent addition. But I remember back then doing a few little web projects and I was doing everything in PHP. Like I would do everything in like server mm-hmm. side mm-hmm. code. Like I'd, that's a still Perl, mostly, I'd do a Perl script to a PHP page. That's but that's still, in terms of your visual tools, you're still restricted to web standards. So there was like tables, images, text. Oh, no, no, I know. But yeah, like I would use, uh, I use this Perl script called like Image Magic or it was like Perl app called Image Magic and it would like could render... Like it would render a JPEG for you where yeah, you would yeah. tell it, draw a circle, draw a line, da da da. Like mm-hmm. you could make a captcha with it basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, that was the last time that I was a full stack developer. <laughs> I, I, I will say this that um, any early stage of technology is really fun because mm-hmm. it, the things are not figured out yet and it's pretty simple. So to learn it, you don't. Like it's not. I think that was a really fun period where a lot of people architects and designers and artists everybody had an experiments page on the web mm-hmm. it's like oh let's yeah. try let's see what this tool can do because now if you start as a web artist the the possibilities are so endless that you don't feel like oh let's make a little experiments page and see what the technology can do well unless like nowadays like v- web vr is kind of like that yeah. and 3d yeah. web like open gl on the web and stuff do so you see a doing- lot of demos Mm, or like I don't a- AR I lo- kit demos and things like that. <laughs> yeah, you you kind of seek them out, but there aren't that many. It's kind of like it was back then, where they like if you talk to the right people, they'll be like, yeah, check out what I managed to pull off in a browser. But it doesn't work in this browser; it only works on this version. Yeah, da, 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 right. <laughs> yeah. So it's like that. But um, yeah, so I I did use Explore for a while, but then I quickly because of all of that talk uh, and all the war like capital kind of war stuff i remember thinking mozilla coming along with firefox but that was like, that was a bit later like we had been using uh, yeah was safari like, around when mozilla started uh mozilla like net when netscape um i don't know the exact history but netscape it's Mo, firefox is based on netscape's code because netscape yeah. open sourced its uh its browser code uh Maybe what's interesting is I wasn't in the U.S. at the time, but there was a time when AOL was a major browser and was kind of like what Facebook is now. They wanted to be a walled garden, and you can find everything in our garden. What's funny about that is in Canada, AOL was you got a lot of discs, but it wasn't such a big success. There's something about the words "America Online" that. It sounds like it's going to cost a lot of money. Like I would, I remember getting a CD in the mail every day to install it. I was like, "What is this? Why would I even use this?" <laughs> <laughs> it's like a long distance call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's funny. That is that brand name basically meant their market was only America. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No one in the Netherlands was like, "Yeah, I'll use America Online." Yeah, there were other ones at the time, like CompuServe. Apple had one which was called Oh God, what was it called? It was like a little community yeah, as well. Yeah, but this was, this was the idea of providing internet access and the software. Yeah, and the idea is actually not... It seems like now that's actually what we ended up with again, but they also like made it skeuomorphic. So it, like the internet was always represented like... Yeah, I it was like Apple a little example. mall or something. Yeah, like yeah. It's exactly. Like the little... Yeah, your little village here. Click here to go get your news. But really a three-dimensional representation of a village. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or that, however they choose. That they might chose be, to like lay it that out. That might be an interesting thing to talk about because for a while people thought well 
I mean, I remember, I think I mentioned this, but there was a documentary on the information superhighway. Mm-hmm. And they really visualized it in early 3D, uh, 3D and like a car is going along and like getting gas so you can get further, yeah. which was the internet access and, and the minutes you pay. <laughs> and then you visit uh, the library and you go in there and you go through the hallways and you speak to someone and then you get the book and you get back in your car on the information superhighway. And then maybe you yeah. want to look at prices for other things so that's more like a store and then there's like if you want to read the news you there's a little tv and you sit down and there's a 3d person giving you a customized news feed but speaking like a news anchor yeah yeah. that's very like marshall McLuhan says you know like every new media requires or kind of we we end up ends up being the history of the previous media but like for you to understand something new like the internet they needed this analogy yeah the, the funny thing about that analogy is is invented by uh, a new media artist it was it came from the art world the information from Pike? yeah yeah so he he coined that term which i've always found quite funny because when was the last time an artist well an Warhol artist coined, predicted like, a lot of stuff too yeah but they they, they get like two a two decades of like a whole brand the whole a whole era of technology what what i find hilarious is that the art world often feels like oh fashion is taking from artists and taking ideas and blah Mm. blah blah and uh artists predicted a lot of stuff but then artists all they do all day is steal stuff they're just like i'll take this i'll take that and they call it art and take this (laughs) i'll take that wait they took something from me (laughs) what the fuck (laughs) well okay so that's a good maybe that's a good way to talk continue talking about like what happened next in our lives with browsers so i do remember though jumping on the the did did you ever were you part of a closed internet or were you always kind of in the open area um was i always yeah like a closed internet you mean was i ever because i, I when i meet people in the u.s a lot of their youth was like a oh no no chat yeah rooms. i never i was never on that except for those <clears throat> pre-internet days on like or were you on msn chat no i used icq which was the yeah. wasn't open but it was like kind of open and and i remember the reason firefox became popular was not for ideological reasons but because mm-hmm. it was a faster browser it was lean and it would render better and the book the interface was cleaner so it was just a better browser it wasn't yeah. that people were like i believe in in open source but i also but i do remember also one other thing that i thought you might be able to comment on which is that it was extendable i remember very early on that you could install like plugins yeah. or like it like you could modify but those, the interface yeah i mean there was it was a big mess with all the plugins back then <laughs> I really remember. I mean, for me, the internet was a visual tool, so the basic HTML tools were not enough for me. I wanted interactive sound and I wanted scalable images. So there was Shockwave and there was Real Player and there oh was oh my god, Real Players. So. There was QuickTime. You could make a QuickTime application and it would be a Chromeless window, so a window could have any shape, like that mm-hmm. skull that we talked about. Mm, yeah. And a lot of people made ex- multimedia experiences that you could download and install. And to me, then, Flash was just the, the least problematic. It seemed to always work. And it, it kind of... I remember before Flash, you would visit websites and each video had a different codec and you would miss the mm-hmm. codec and it would ruin the fun. And you're like, I don't know how important this video of a cat is that I have to download <laughs> a new re- version of RealPlayer. And then Flash kind of solved that. Like, you just had this one plugin that always worked. It didn't crash that yeah. much. And... When, once Flash took on video, then YouTube was possible. Yeah, but before that, say. video was too problematic. 
That's right. Yeah, Flash actually did lead to the video revolution for the internet. It was the first reliable streaming. Yeah, it's funny that a vector yeah. animation software solved video for the web. Mm-hmm. Up until just a few years ago, I also did all my live streaming. If I did live stream performances via um, Flash, uh, that was still they still were king in that. Uh, in that. Yeah, um, it's it's that thing where it. Nobody, everybody knows ideologically that it's not the solution, but all the other solutions are so complicated. And like, uh, it's still working. Let's just just one more year. <laughs> but um, but that's funny yeah. because Mozilla started as open source, but what made it popular was the closed source extensions. I just thought, yeah, like where are we now? Uh, where Chrome is the like top browser. And I don't even know how that happened, really. Um, well, I but, think, again, it, it was, a, how did Facebook win from uh, MySpace? It's because the interface was more efficient. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a leaner interface. Like I loved MySpace for the extendability, and, and mm-hmm. all the pages were crazy. The customization, you mean? Yeah. Right? You mm-hmm. could put custom embeds and all kinds of stuff. And then Facebook came along, and I thought it looked too boring. Mm-hmm. But it's just the fact that it's lean. And I think... Now Facebook is very bloated, so that the, maybe something else comes. Or maybe Instagram I, is a success. I, I sometimes feel like that perception might have been flawed, or maybe it was true for just a short amount of time. Because now Chrome is one of the least efficient browsers on yeah, any platform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they kind of just like it's like it's done. <laughs> like we don't need to make it more efficient. But uh, other that browsers sucks, are still. Huh? Yeah. Well, what happened though is that. Um, I talked to someone who worked at... So, of course, there's Safari in the background, but don't even concern yourself with that because that's always been about 20% of the market. Safari's never been like... A, I think Safari is, is for people who don't know what a browser is and they buy a Mac. And we're still talking about computers, right? Yeah. There's still so much more to talk about. Anyway, I just want to get through this far. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, on, uh, like, so when Chrome just kind of hit this, like, maximal place, just like Internet Explorer is like, yeah, we're done. You know, we have, like, dominant market share. We don't need to do anything else. We're going to do some other stuff. And um, during that time as well, uh, Mozilla and Firefox decided to stop working on Firefox. And I was talking to someone who worked for the Mozilla Foundation a few months ago, and they said... This is this is pretty recent history now. They started to invest all of their resources into creating this Firefox OS or like basically for mobile, an right? Yeah, for mobile. And it and would so be they, a, an HTML based operating system where you didn't need apps. Yeah, it was like going to be an open source yeah, like free operating system for and it was going to be the next competitor to android well that's exactly what the innovators dilemma is about because they were mostly a desktop browser mm-hmm. they did not have so much permission on mobile to really be a, a, a competitor to other browsers right because on, on mobile the the permissions you have are pretty restricted so what's the benefit of using firefox on mobile mm-hmm. so then you have a dilemma it's like okay this this future technology is going to eat us for sure, we could still be king on the desktop, but people get used to Safari on, on mobile, and then maybe they want Safari on desktop as well because it'll sync better and you can uh, sync articles and read them later and things like that. So we have to be a platform. So I understand that they would yeah. move towards that. Well, but apparently like they realized a little too late and then they sunk so much of their costs in that that they lost a tremendous amount of browser market share, which is kind of what they were known for. Yeah. Yeah. But w- would you say that at the time when they made that decision to change their focus, 
would you have said like no 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 just stay the king of the desktop because still mobile would have eaten the no and i think that's really interesting because the hindsight's always 2020 because there was a time just a few years ago where if you walked into a boardroom and you didn't say the words mobile first <laughs> you're like get out of here you don't know what the future is that's the future the future is a mobile phone and that's largely held true but no one had predicted that like so much it, mobile first would just become an additional layer. We would just consume more. <laughs> yeah, it's not devices. less screen time. It's, it doesn't <laughs> yeah, eat away. Exactly. Because no. now you have your, your laptop you on your on your lap, your phone in your hand, and you're watching TV. Yeah, and, and exactly. It, it, it's not like <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, also the browser is um, more. It, I think people spend. Of all the time spent on the desktop, maybe you spend 70% in the browser. Mm-hmm. And of all your time spent on mobile, you might spend 20% in the browser. Right. So in, in, I think you said that once, like the desktop is more and more apps on the web and the, the mobile is more and more the web in apps. That's right. Yeah, it's exactly what what's happened. And a lot of people proposed that the future of the internet was actually... Not the browser. That's kind of where I was hoping we would get in this podcast, right? Which is like... I'm glad to help. (laughs) Well, when you think about it as an artist too, right? Like the browser is really a magnificent thing in a way. It was like, it's like an operating system on top of an operating system. It's like, how can we... And your talk earlier about Flash being the standard, like you wanted to make some you had you wanted to make an expression or express yourself and you wanted it to be available to everyone across yeah no and, matter and what i want device. it to be at least amount of work so it just works Cause, right but because making a flash file is kind of like making a pdf and making a website is a continuous thing that you just you have to keep yeah. checking all the browsers and a swift file you just made it and it would just work the end of story and kind of the web had this promise early on that, yeah, you just make it once for the web and it would render the thing on everyone's screen, no matter what that screen was because of these standards. But then they weren't standard, right? And and then people started to give up on that standard because it was so fragmented, right? And started to invent. And then mobile came along and they're like, oh, we have an answer. Because remember, early on when the iPhone came out, Steve Jobs was like, oh, you don't need apps. You just need bookmarks to web apps, Right. And that's how we'll become this. Yeah, because he thought Apple didn't have the resources to manage an app store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone thinks they were so brilliant for having to disrupting the you know software marketplace. But they, I remember at that time, people were demanding, "No, give us access to the operating system. Create an app store." Da da da. That was yeah. the demand. They weren't the first one to invent an app store. Right? But yeah, I, I think in the early web, the thing you had to be frugal with was data size. Mm-hmm. But then when mobile came along, it wasn't even the data size. It, it's more the, the performance because it just things are s- sluggish. The the browser takes it. You think the web is pretty basic, but rendering web pages all the time is a pretty difficult computational task. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah, if you have a, a, a web page that's behaving as an app. Yeah, exactly. And or if in the past, you know, the the front end of a web page might actually have to call like a server side. Uh, some server-side code or something. Yeah. Um, and that might be a tangled mess. Like, I can speak from experience working on a web app that serves millions of people that, like, it gets very complicated and very expensive very quickly. Because you're, you're basically a, a mainframe for millions of users. And when you think yeah. about the history of mainframes, they used to have a thousand users or something. Mm-hmm. But this would might be, like, half a billion simultaneous users. That's In the history of computation, that's a pretty big f- feat. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's exactly what it was. It's like a, it's a client and server relationship, just like the, in the mainframe days. Um, and so it kind of disrupted that personal computer revolution. But the dream was you could like, you know, get around updates, software and web pages, just, I don't know, automatically. The way you think of Gmail, you, you never have to update it. You don't have to check for viruses. It just does its thing. Yeah. And I think we talked about it previously on the podcast, though. There was this period, though, you know, Web 2.0 that we've talked about where the Internet went from being pages and information to being social connections and applications. And right around that time, too, the phone came along and said, like, no, it's not a web page. It's a web, it's an app and it's a web app on your phone. No, wait a second. It's just an app on your phone that accesses other apps on yeah. a server side. Mm-hmm. And then <clears throat> then we're like, oh, does the browser really matter? And I thought that would be an interesting question for us to answer is like, do we still believe that the browser, what's what's its role? Like, why does it exist? Well, it, what's funny is that the scale of things is so large that what we thought was significant in 1998, like, oh, wow, I can access 10,000 people. That's mm-hmm. amazing. And now we're so uh, spoiled that if the we we feel like the web is not getting as much attention as before, but it's still so much bigger than it was in 1998. But what is it anymore? I think that's the you know the kind of fundamental question. Does and does a browser actually represent what it is? Well, so, I think there's definitely app fatigue. So if you have a small idea, I think it's better to mm-hmm. launch it as a web service than as a. I think it it people used to install apps all the time, and now it's kind of mm-hmm. like, oh, do I have to download it? I don't know. Because one thing that I've heard um, is emerging is this thing called WebAssembly, which is basically like the whole app can just compile itself and run in the browser natively. So it can like download itself, compile like and present itself within the browser. But the browser then really is just an emulator. Yeah. <laughs> if you think about it, right? Like running yeah. on top of And uh, and that's an always slower system. than when it, it it's local. When it's a local uh, file, a, a, yeah. a local application. But the um, if you look at Facebook, Facebook was a desktop web application. Like mm-hmm. it was, it, it wasn't just a, a static page. It was a pretty dynamic thing that could do. It could resize images for you, and it could make lots of connections and queries. So it's like a modern web app. Facebook. Yeah, and it was built for the desktop. And then mobile came along, mm. so they're like, should we make a native native app, or do we make something that's more of a skin, and we just make an HTML5 website that mm-hmm. works on all mobile devices so we just have to develop it once so they made an HTML5 bet right right. uh, but then they slowly mobile started growing and people like this app is so slow Mm -hmm. and so then they're like okay we gotta go full on on mobile we gotta work mobile first we gotta and and now it's a bigger part of their revenue they really made that leap yeah that's a famous example we cited in software circles all the time Uh, whenever someone asks like hey should you should we do this as like a web app instead? Should we like, um, you know, work on our a responsive version of our web app instead of making this native app? Everyone's like, well, remember what happened to Facebook, you know, because Facebook ended up with a very bad mobile web app. Um, and they, they they said that it, they lost three years of growth or something because of that. Yeah. But, but now it's funny, these bets, they're so hard. Yeah. <laughs> but ironically, Facebook is pushing for the exact same thing. I'm not sure if you've heard about their React platform, but... Facebook is now pushing for like, because they didn't forget this lesson. (laughs) So React Native is middleware, which is like another little emulator that runs uh, on your uh, operating system. 
And you wouldn't call it a browser, but it kind of is like a browser. Basically, it allows you to write um, an application once and for it to run an Android phone and an iOS phone or an, uh, any other kind of device that you might uh, create. Similar to if you've used Unity or Unreal Engine to create a game. So it's right back to like, Flash. Yeah, you can like, yeah, exactly. You can publish to this, publish to that. Yeah, exactly. And so thank you for saying that because we're back in the Flash era. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it a way took, to make apps easily. Yeah, but it only took us five years to get back to Flash and Flash was so demonized. And remember, yeah. remember how it got how Flash ended up dying was like Steve Jobs put out this open letter just before he died, like as if yeah. <laughs> it was like his last dying wish <laughs> <laughs> that he would never, you know, allow Flash on an iOS device. And Adobe was like, ah, we're ruined. We can't do this anymore. We're fighting an uphill battle. Well, they, it was also mobile processors are pretty limited, so to run a virtual operating system on a limited operating system it's just it doesn't work well mm -hmm. but it's very expensive to like write an application for every single platform yeah. I know this because I work I mean, somewhere I, I just released an app and then a lot of people ask oh, are you going to release this for Android but it's <laughs> it's a free app I'm not going to make money with it and then uh, it, it's just a little fun idea I wanted to make yeah. And then to have different, and I know developing for Android is more complicated than for iOS. Is lots of, so once you start doing Android, they're like, well, it's not working on my Galaxy S7, but it is working on the six. And yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, exactly. There's tons of fragmentation in the Android. Can I universe. plug the app? Yeah, you should. Can you? Yeah, you may. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, imperialist pig advertising your own things. <laughs> uh, no, I I made an what app. Is the, yeah, what's the app's name? It's called Here Here, H E R E, and then H E A R. It's a homonym. I guess I don't know, but the <laughs> the app is um, it looks at color contrast in your camera. So you you open it and you see your camera app basically, and then it it overlays uh, shapes and colors, as you would expect with me. And if you hit the screen with your finger, a, a timeline moves across and. It finds a melody so once it touches each shape each shape has one note it sounds complicated it's very simple when you use it so just if you go to my website it's the first post on my website it's a free download for iOS uh, just open it up it basically it converts images into melodies and it, especially for musicians if you're kind of stuck you're looking for melodies then if you take <laughs> this app and then go to somewhere that's pretty colorful you'll, you'll find lots of melodies I like that, that you found a problem in a customer segment in that like brief moment. You're like, yeah. oh, have you, you a musician stuck for melody? Well, I, I make, I make uh, I'm an amateur musician. I make yeah. songs and it's sometimes it's really hard to find a melody. So Yeah. 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 And, and the, the idea is that uh, melodies are usually come out of inspiration, which comes out of um, conscious decisions. You're, you're playing or not even conscious, but your body and your brain saying, this should be the melody. And here you just give up control a little bit and just be like, oh, what are the melodies that are floating around me? It's wonderful. So maybe actually it's your advertisement's a good segue into this week's advertisement. Yeah. <laughs> we have an official advertisement, uh, non-self-promotional, um, and we'll just go into reading it, I guess. Yeah, here we go. Okay. Uh, Raphael, have you ever stopped to think about how much of a burden men can be? Let me think about it. That seems like a broad statement. Well, not a broad statement. 
I don't need to convince you. You should check out this new art and literary magazine, Reflections on the Burden of Men, where over 30 different artists are responding to that same question with visual art, poetry, essays, and more. Is that a collage of unsolicited dick pics? <laughs> I think so. And don't miss the recreation of the birth of Venus with the Venezuelan minister of petroleum dressed in a shell bikini. Oh, geez, this is pretty funny. <laughs> it's almost like feminist artists can approach their serious experiences with the patriarchy of patriarchy with humor. Where can I get one? Check out rotbom.com that's rotbom <laughs> ooh which sounds like anyway you can buy a copy there rotbom yeah rotbom reflections on the burden of men okay you'll find it in the show notes <laughs> thanks for sending that ad in and yeah please it's available uh, online to buy now so go visit rotbom.com thanks for sending in your ads as usual keep and sending them Keep sending them in. Yeah, we've received quite a few. I, I, I think the ideal ad for us would be digital products because then you, you can... You, you, I, I mean, we're talking about browsers right now, mm-hmm. right? So I, I think it's really fun when someone's like, oh, there's an app or a website or a service and you're on your phone anyway listening to the podcast and it works on your phone. It's kind of magical. Yeah. No, it is cool. And also, like, um, it's cool that almost all of our ads, the call to action is still a website. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's still like rotbomb.com. Well, that, that's maybe an interesting question. Like, what's the relevance of the web? But I often think when someone builds, the, builds their brand or experience relying on another service and the service changes, mm-hmm. what's left then? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, that's, you know, the, the web isn't going anywhere for, for that and reason. It, it's a bit uh, with my... Uh, my website said we had to make a shift for it to work on mobile. Mm-hmm. But the general idea is still, um, we're not, these websites don't rely on any platform other than the web, and the web still exists, so it'll be around for a while. I mean, if, so you're if, off Flash, though, right? Yeah, but if you, I guess, I mean, what I mean is if you're a YouTube star and then YouTube changes their ways. Mm-hmm. I guess you you, gonna, you, you went I through that. Do? Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, or if your income it, is based on YouTube views. But I th- I was reflecting on this this morning because, uh, like, I it already did change. It changed like lots of times, and the YouTube and the biggest change actually wasn't to the interface or the way YouTube functioned. It was just to culture and context, right? Like, um, being a YouTube star doesn't mean the same thing anymore. It means you're probably you know are sponsored by you know Nivea face cream <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and you probably you know Some like hot chocolate doing makeup and, tutorials or yeah. something yeah like it's a it's a different space than it was it's not independent media so you're anymore. not you're not making money from youtube you're making money from products that you place in the videos yeah like and there's these like you know communities of people that get together and they create these networks um and yeah it's a very like it's very different and and therefore to get views now is not the same as it used to be it, you really like you ha- and of course you have to build up a community and people still do that but it's very much for like you have to get to to get up a level you have to group with other people because the ne- the, le- the next level is so high uh, now uh, uh, uh. it's actually similar in podcasts and you know pe- we should probably be allying with other podcasts for them to tell for them to like promote us and we promote them and until you get to a certain level and then you can like sustainably yeah, yeah. attract more people but otherwise but the, you reach the maximum it, what is interesting is that every step that seems like oh youtube came along and you think like oh that just happened but mm-hmm. it really means that there was a 
a perfect storm of technology and culture colliding. Like it wasn't possible to stream video. The data uh, pass mm -hmm. through wasn't enough. Uh, servers were too expensive, and uh, browsers couldn't handle video yet. And like there's many things. It, Sometimes when they say, "Oh, I work in tech," and you don't, you don't really think as the web is tech. Like how mm -hmm. how much tech is Gmail compared to launching a rocket into space? But it really isn't that easy to make streaming music for billions of people, or to make <laughs> a, a collaborative documents. Like in the history of computation, I, this is not a silly thing. Like to figure that out at scale is not easy. No, it's true. Like we have a, a shared note for each podcast that synchronizes automatically, um, which is it, a native thing. It's not in the browser. Yeah, it's in an application. But for that to exist, we had to go through this period of browser <laughs> communication experimentation and synchronous and asynchronous communication via in, you know networks of computers and. So, so that now, you know, you can type and I can type at the same time and the changes appear in real time. That actually took a, a lot of energy um, to get to happen. It's still quite hard. I know working at FreshBooks, where I work, that they, we still face these challenges. Syncing is hard. Well, like, for example, up until just recently, push notifications were still really hard. <laughs> like, really expensive. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's not like they can't, you can't do them, but you have this, like, stack of priorities and you're like, well, that'll take two months, this will take a month, but customers really want this, and da-da-da. And so you're always like sorting out a million things, and there's bugs and everything, yeah. and then new the standards come along. The more features you add, the more problems you get. You get this so-called technical debt, and then, yeah. And basically, the more complex the thing gets, the harder it is to maintain, and the harder it is to maintain, the more you want to just scrape it all away and start from scratch. And then as soon as you start from scratch, you make naive mistakes because you're under <laughs> technology. Anyway, and the circuit continues. Uh, like it's one thing that I that's always going to be true is that, you know, we're not finished with the web, but the web's not finished with us. It's going to keep revolving. And it uh, it does seem that this whole area of like apps versus um, web apps, native apps mm -hmm. versus web apps, or mobile versus desktop, it's really helping each other because they're constantly testing an idea in different methods. Different companies mm -hmm. are testing it in different ways. And basically, you get to try everything for free, almost like, <laughs> oh, try it this way. Like, how many choices in word processor do you have compared to 1985? Yeah, and, and yeah. there's all these different ways of uh, collaborating, and they're all free. It seems like th th this is one of those things where it's really all the competition is really making it better. Yeah, someone uh, was recently telling me in markets there are the there's a cycle of fragmentation and aggregation that repeats over and over again. So innovation happens in fragments. So like, let's take uh, let's take the, the the aggregate version to start. So remember Microsoft Word, our beloved Microsoft Word, like an app everyone used for decades. Or let's take Photoshop as another example. They got every year they'd add more and more features, and they became this thing. It's like, where are you going to go to get your uh, photo editing uh, uh, needs? Oh, Photoshop. Where are you going to? Oh, where are you going to go to get your word processing needs? Of course, Microsoft. And what about when you need to write a poem? Microsoft Word. Yeah, that's where I'm going to go. Word. What about if you need to do an invoice? Yeah, oh, go like to word. A, an annual report is in Word, and a short yeah. essay is in Word, and a novel is in Word. Everything yeah. is in Word. Yeah. But then, like, people are like, well, you know, like I actually do this really specific thing, and Word doesn't do that very well. But there's this new application and it's just it's made specifically for this like thing and it does it so much better i never knew it was possible and, and it, then that happens for a bunch of things and, and then i you remember end up i remember reading microsurfs by douglas mm -hmm. copeland oh yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, that that was the era of apps on discs on on cds 
Mm-hmm. So that what was the app frenzy maybe ten years ago or eight years ago uh, of like oh this is the app to check the news and this is the app to check your stocks and but we have a better stocks app and we're gonna this is yeah there was a frenzy then with desktop apps and and that, then after a while it became more like no there's just five great apps and you don't need anything else <laughs> yeah exactly so and you I, go through I, these I cycles. think I think the app stores on on uh, Android and iOS made it all of a sudden really easy to pay for small apps before mm-hmm. because something was on a disc and had to be on a store it should definitely be $20 or more so it didn't make sense to make a, an app that's great for writing really short texts right. but now it's like oh it's 99 cents we can make an app that is very specific but that's why if we get back to browsers and the artist and the browser as like um, a product it's still really interesting because it's actually an app and so often, though, we think of it as it shouldn't be an app. It's a piece of like, it's a it's a frame. We often think about like, it's a and frame. And you want it to be in the background, frame. basically. Yeah, and you, you want don't to be want gra- even to be of. You don't want even want to be aware of which browser you're using. It's just, yeah, yeah, it's just that, one internet. I, I used to think like, why are they putting all this Chrome? And in fact, why did they even name their browser Chrome? That's the part of the browser that I hate so much. <laughs> what are they thinking? You know, and actually I'm looking at Chrome right now and it has like this bookmarks bar and then which I should be hiding, but I haven't, and then like an address bar, and then I have currently about fifty tabs open. <laughs> <laughs> and then along the bottom I have like twenty five down recent downloads. Um, and, yeah, it's also cool that the the browser is also a developing tool so you you have the inspector and you can change web pages live and see what's happening and it's kind of it's a it's something for users and for developers at the same time it's it's an expert tool and it's a novice tool it, it's kind of command line you can do a lot of command line searches and mm-hmm. different search engines there's a lot of advanced tricks but you can also use it when you hardly know anything it's true. I mean, it does, and it does seem very much like it's like a, a little mini operating system by what I just described to you. Because you know, original browsers just had one view, and like you, if you wanted another view, you had to type in another view. So it was like a terminal. Yeah, and, and then remember they added before tabs. tabs, that was so funny that nobody. It's it seems so obvious now, but it's like you used to open. Do you want to open this link in the current window or in a new window? <laughs> well, remember, windows were how we organized information. The idea of a tab wasn't didn't really make any sense but as an artist i've thought about it because you know as that chrome changes around the artwork i haven't i don't know i haven't seen that many artists that have played with changing the chrome or is there like why isn't there an artist browser i've always oh there was a lot in the late 90s early 2000 quicktime you could make a chromeless browser and you could Mm -hmm. make a browser that's not rectangular and things like that and uh uh, jody made a a weird browser you would enter a url and it would do all kinds of weird stuff and now i think jody did that and now I think it's more uh, extensions. You can write an extension that is an experimental way of viewing the web. And the problem with downloading things and running them is that you risk having a virus. So most people would right. not download an alternative browser. That's a lot to ask. Right, right. That's a lot of trust, so, especially if Jody makes it. You're like, well, they might delete my hard disk. So, but, a, but you bring up a really good point. Yeah, yeah you bring up a good point. Totally an extension is a version of a browser, if you will. It's like forking the browser. It's a filter. To it. Yeah, it's a filter. Yeah. So you have an you have an extension that you use to make a lot of your work, right? Yeah, it it started uh, first. I made. I had this idea for a long time. I was like, what if you could browse the web but uh, without images? Mm-hmm. No, uh, without text, because there there used to be in the early days of the web, 
to save data, you could browse image-free, and the web would be quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, my uncle told me in the early days of the web, if you replied to an email and you didn't cut out the previous conversation, people would get upset because the email would take so long to download. So, and this is plain text. So I thought it would be funny to do the opposite and do text-free browsing. So you can browse the web and you only see images. Um, and what does that look like? Uh, go to textfreebrowsing.com and you can see this it This is becoming the, <laughs> the rap. Yeah. This is definitely your episode. My product placement. Yeah. It ends up looking like, um, what I like about these works, because you've made a lot of like abstract, you call them abstract browsing works and they're yeah. blocks of color, but those yeah. blocks of color represent the sort of div tag spaces or like the fr- the different like components that comprise a layer. Yeah, I, I always think of it as, as an x-ray vision of a city. So you can see a city, but then all of a sudden you see the sewer and you see the, the structures and you see the, the plumbing and the, the structure of a building without anything covering it up. Now, what I think so interesting about that is today you can look at websites and you can kind of recognize that they, you can recognize them. I've been there. Oh, that's like a... That's Pinterest, or that's Twitter, that's mm-hmm. Facebook. And, and you can simply recognize that by the layout of the page. But I was at an interesting um, meetup this week, and they had someone who designed the website for Kobo.com. Uh, Kobo the the like, e-reader? Yeah, it's like, it's like, a, you know, it's like Amazon, but for, you know, it's, like, it's like Kindle Store or whatever. And they said that they had a problem because... Um, and this wasn't the design team that had this problem. As like an organization, they decided we had this problem, and they'd made a develop. They had this development challenge, and they're like, "We don't know what how to organize the the little components of a page." And it's funny because like this person drew a web page on a whiteboard, and the web page that they drew was just like three boxes with little boxes inside of them, very similar to the way your abstract browsing mm-hmm. kind of pages look. And I don't know how we decided that that is what comprises a web page or whether we'll still think that's the index of a web page in 20 years. But what was really interesting about what they presented was they said, we don't know what order to put these boxes in. You know, website is just a series of boxes. And we don't know. We didn't know what order to put them in to get people to buy the most number of books. Well, that's what you have A-B testing for, right? Exactly. And she's like, you know, we we could do A-B testing, but in a book recommendation context, the number of A-B tests we'd need to run relative to the preferences of individual people would just be too high. So we came up with this um, idea of using machine learning and specifically this new concept at the time of what's called a multi-armed bandit. And you know what a one-armed bandit is? Like a casino machine? You a know, slot you machine? The, you pull the lever, yeah. And yeah, You know and they like even chairs. have those in bathrooms in, in Las Vegas. I it was there once. Me, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. At the toilet, like yeah, like, like you're sitting down doing your business, and then you can <laughs> use a slot machine. Yeah. Oh wow, that's the next level of culture. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, she said with a multi-arm bandit, just think of a one-arm bandit, but it randomizes the page multiple t- with you know multiple times, and it would basically what they created this reinforced reinforced learning model where different components of the page would resort themselves based on how well they performed. But what I thought was interesting about that in relationship to the history of the web is like right now we have a stand. You talked about standards throughout this episode and how important standards were to the Internet. But certain design standards also came into play. Like, remember, there's a content above the fold. We've, I don't know if we've ever mentioned above the fold on this web, web uh, this, this oh, podcast. This but like, browser episode. This yeah. browser episode. But above the fold is anything above the viewport like the initial viewport that you're looking through the browser in we think before of before you scroll 
Yeah, before you scroll. I don't even and then there's also a concept of like false bottom. So there's a lar- large perception among web browsers that they've reached the bottom of the page before they have. There's all this psychology into that mm. and the way they read a page. So it's also like in search results. Are you on the first page of the search results or on yeah. the second? Yeah, and generally like the consensus is people are lazy. So anything at the very top to the left because they read in what's called an F pattern. You know, top left, right corner of any website is the most valuable part of the website, and that's why that's where a lot of logos go. There's <laughs> a similar thing in art history where there's theory on how you scan a painting, and there's a certain spiral movement that you make, and yeah. uh, there's there's things to consider. There is the exact same thing. Like, what's the most, what's the the eye of the duck in a painting, and how does your eye move across? And that's for me what the abstract browsing yeah. works are about. So the, this machine learning and uh, machines knowing better than we what's the most efficient website well ultimately that's where yeah this thing ended up going so it re- the model reinforced itself and it it came up with multiple versions of this website that were superior in terms of at least conversion to paid than any other human generated website there, there was a similar thing that's maybe even easier to understand that uh, the YouTube feed there was a recent article it, it gets better and better at predicting what you want to see Mm-hmm. Because it's a really tough problem. There's a, a bazillion videos, and which one do you want to look at? And the they started using machine learning, and the machine learning tool figured out an idea that you would think is obvious, but it's like on mobile you suggest you should suggest shorter videos, and on mm. desktop mid-sized videos, and on a TV you suggest longer videos. Oh, and, and the the machine learning came up with that by itself but this is something that a human could have thought yeah duh of course you want to watch longer (laughs) videos when you're on a couch what I think is kind of interesting though when you think about a browser though is that um, that the browser has to um, has to like doesn't really take that into consideration it says you know like the Chrome doesn't say hey there's stuff below this line it just says like I am what you see right like scrolling is a big part of browsers but what innovations have come to scrolling on the web not like you know it's still a dear space to this, bar like, yeah you scroll one page at a time with the space bar most people probably don't know that right but it's like but I don't know, it just it got me thinking that like so much of what this machine learning algorithm was working to do was to overcome the limits of the media medium, the way it was designed, the way the browser was designed. Right. And so um, I don't know, that was like, I don't, but, I, but yeah. what it, it, can you reflect on that for a second? Yeah, I'm not sure I follow what what I'm saying is like, if it were VR as an example, like, and you've seen 360 video and stuff, like the way you might scroll is by looking left or right or up and yeah, down, yeah, yeah. right? Um, to see more of something. But the scroll bar in the internet browser controls the way the media on the browser looks, right? So we think of this, the browser as this like window, infinite window, but it's actually got quite a few constraints been t- built into it. And that's one constraint, but then you have the constraint of the address bar as we've yeah, talked about. That that does remind me of that that sort of late 90s early 2000s when there was a lot of interface experiments. So mm-hmm. you would for example in a in a platform game like Super Mario, the idea is there's a very big world and you only see a small part of it and you have to walk to go mm. through the world. Yes. And the web is similar to a platform game but the page is always uh vertical it's just a long scroll which reminds you of before books when books were on scrolls yeah 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 Yeah. and so 
you could also have a web page that's more like Google Maps, where you you scan across a big thing, you only see part of it. So a web page like the New York Times cover could be a very big page that you only see a part of, and you 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 pan across it like Google Maps. But I think they tried a lot of those alternative experimental interfaces, and then there's just a simple solution like Google search results or Wikipedia, and it just works so well. There's no need to reinvent it. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, what if we could scroll upside down? What if we could scroll? <laughs> it, it, it's like, no, it, it works fine. So maybe scrolling is like, is just, it's the standard. It's never going to change. When, when, when Instagram first appeared, I thought, why do I have to scroll? It should be just tap to next image. Or it, it should, as you swipe, it should magnetically click at the next image and the next image. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still think that would probably be nice. I don't know. Like but Tinder, with, I guess, proved that you don't need to, you know, swipe down to see. Like, it, yeah, that's a exactly. But but it, it, Instagram could be the same. I, I don't know why it's still it feels like a long web page. I only bring it up because it has a really big impact on uh, how at least how marketing websites are designed, which I spend some of my day thinking about, and a trend towards very condensed, narrow, shallow pages, and toward video, uh, which you would, mm-hmm. might not expect. But video is now driving most of what cons- constitutes web design. And so because because no one scrolls, oh, well, then we have to put the story up high. But how do we get all of the story into such yeah, a small yeah, yeah. space? Oh, I know. We'll make it in time. Video is a way of doing that. And right? it's so funny. Like it, The web is really an experiment in how, how far can we go with laziness. So <laughs> uh, since people don't scroll that much, You'll hit a video in a feed and it'll just start playing on its own. You don't even have to ask it to play. That's right. And because you're lazy and you probably have your phone on silent, it has subtitles, even though the video is in your language already. <laughs> so it, yeah. it, it's really just like, yeah, it, it's it's very fascinating. But at the same time, the, the laziness, you could see that as a negative. It's like, oh, people are so lazy. At the same time, yeah, why would it take seven steps to upload a photo to the web and resize it and you have to open for Why can't the computer do that for me? Well, it's just like, I, I mean, I used to, we've talked about portfolio websites on this podcast before, but I used to have one with tons of links. And then I noticed like people didn't go past like the first two yeah. links in my uh, thing. It's like, oh, they're getting everything from the first two, like the only two things I've well, ever. Well, I, th- I think you really, this is a thing where you have to get past your own ego. Or you mm-hmm. have to have the perspective of because imagine you get sent links by friends and they're like hey this is an interesting artist i'm sure you would like it but yeah you have a lot of things to do no of then, course and then this website has an experiment navigation and then you're like oh i'll just google the person's name and look at google image search and that will be such a quick way of looking at something yeah it's no, funny but, how yeah. this episode went from browsers to portfolios but those things are very tied together yeah they're very tied together and i guess my point is that like you know, the web gives this access to this limitless amount of information, but most people only consume a website for three seconds. Uh, so, like, it, it's really tending towards a different kind. It's not the same web it was 20 years ago. Like, you talked about when Flash came along. and Yeah, but it, the early these- web had a lot of limitations just because of data size. So people couldn't, like, people can now really make a website with, Easily with a million images, you could be like, mm-hmm. yeah, I have a website. It has a million images. Just yeah. just take a few weeks to go through them. It's yeah. Like, no, I don't want to. And in the early web, it's like, well, I have five images. That's all that my server can handle. Right. And I mean, like, I used to be into socializing on the web, on websites, but now I'm more into reading long form content. Maybe that's just a preference of mine. Yeah. Like, yeah. The um, same way you you like bitter food and. Uh, 
Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, anyway, I, I, I kind of just wanted to bring it up because I think like form follows uh, function. And so the function of the browser dictated a lot of the yeah. form of the internet. Um, and, 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 and the browser is more of a, it became more something like a TV where you just have it on all the time and it's constantly giving you new content. Mm-hmm. And before it was more like, maybe like an encyclopedia where you would just look up articles, but there was a limited amount of pages. No, that's, that's exactly it. Like if you went to a Yahoo directory, you're looking, it, it was li- and literally the first um, the first media company to die after the birth of the internet was the encyclopedia, the door-to-door encyclopedia sales you know, channel, right? So like no one bought like big racks of encyclopedias anymore, right? Because it was easily replaced by the internet. Why didn't they shift to an online model? Was that hard to monetize? Like why did They didn't... went to CD-ROMs. Uh, yeah, but Encyclopedia Britannica, like if they had an ad-based website with all their great uh, articles, mm-hmm. you're setting you think me up they would have great... done well? <laughs> you're setting me up for a good point, which is because paywalls hadn't been invented yet. No, and... but ad-based. Ad-based, uh, maybe like because Wiki. Why isn't there a version of Wikipedia? Because no, Wikipedia I understand, but Encyclopedia Britannica, which was the the standard for English-speaking world. Well, there was like an on- Encarta online, I think, for a little while. They tried okay. to maintain their old business models, as far as I understand, for far too long, and then by then Wikipedia was too far advanced. With like, think of how many workers. Wikipedia is like, a, we should do an episode on it, but it's like a marvelous thing when you think about it. Yeah, it's, it, that's like the Star Trek vision of the world of harmony and people working together. <laughs> well, it's actually like a shining example. It's the, it's like, it, it really is like a, a you know, a, a, it's an really the utopian dream. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the m- number of times I end up citing it, which is probably not always a good idea in academic academic circles that's like frowned upon but uh in the podcast notes no one's but it's true it's on wikipedia (laughs) but still it's managed to withhold uphold like a certain reputation despite i think wikipedia is great for pop culture because if you make a mistake with facts it's like okay that wasn't the cameraman for that version of star wars okay yeah do you think we got to a good point today at all like in terms of i mean we i like to usually connect it back to artists but and I tried to get there with uh, talking well, to you about I, how you I, extended I the browser. I, th- I think I'm one of the few artists of my age who still uses uh, the web a lot. But I think most artists, the, I think like the, web, the, the web became more, um, people are more excited on the web to see things that happen in real life. What I mean is there's a lot of digital artists that then make post-internet works or internet-inspired works and then photograph them and then publish them on the web. And that's more exciting Mm -hmm. to people than things that were made directly for the web. Right. I was thinking, though, like some of the net artists from the 90s, we didn't talk through their work and maybe we never will, but even into the mid-aughts. Yeah, and and, uh, there was a lot of artists who made browser-specific works that were very timely. Exactly. Like one that pops into my mind is Olia's work, Olia uh, Lialina. Right, where she did works that would jump between different servers, and therefore, like the URL bar was used as like media specific space where you'd see the yeah. work. It was an animation, right? Like, what's the piece where there's a person swinging? Summer, uh, summer, yeah. right? So she, there's a there's a a woman. I think it's her on a swing, or maybe yeah. it's not her swinging back and forth. And each frame of that animation is on a different web server, and so yeah, you see yeah. the address. I have bars. one of the frames on my server. Oh, you do. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. And it, but that's but a, it, it was a way to recreate the old experience of an animated GIF taking a long time to load. But it's also a way of exposing sort of like the mechanics or the form. And this is where I was trying to go with the browser thing. 
it's like you know exposing that frame for what it is yeah. which i thought mm-hmm. it was really interesting uh and a lot of those early experiments really tried to like it was like almost like ed- their education for how this thing works but so much of what we con- what constitutes the internet is now invisible and yeah, the browser but, is the but, last visible way but then it's you- interesting to mention rhizome uh, uh, uh sort of like an art institution but completely online mm-hmm and they started this project called the Net Art Anthology, and yes. they're, they're involved with preservation. So their strategy for preservation is not to update the code so it works on modern browsers. It's just leave the code as it is, but visit the website in an emulator that uses a browser when the work was made. So if you look at a work from 1998, you'll open Windows XP, and it'll have the browser at the time with the scroll bars at the time and the address right. bar of the time. and because browsers now are so powerful, they basically can run an old OS. Right. And so that's basically their strategy. And the NetArt Anthology, I think, is 100 web works from the beginning of the web until now. It's slowly unfolding this year. And you can visit works like Olia and Jody and uh, and vi- see them the way they were at that time. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I think so that's the, kind of... Yeah. Like a, and there's people who made specific works that address the scroll bars of the time like Jan yeah. Robert Leegte yes uh, your, your good friend uh, <laughs> <laughs> your homie and uh, yeah so the, uh, my my point of view was always my work should be not browser specific they should work on anything so yeah. uh, it's it's less important for me but even then there will be some works that use one of the challenges now with updating works to JavaScript is sound. Even Shockwave was better with sound than Flash, and then Flash was a little better with sound management. If you have lots of event sounds at the same, like let's say you want to play fifteen sounds at the same time randomly, mm-hmm. that's you run into performance issues with JavaScript. Hmm. But you could do a, you could like do some kind of mixing code um, so that mixing happens. Hmm, I don't know. Anyway, but I do think it's an interesting or good point, which is that there were artists that were working within the constraints of the browser, and event- the browser has become more and more invisible, or we've tried to push it back. Yeah. Well, artists I, continue I, I to think, try and expose it. I think what's interesting is every five years, there's a, the web has changed a lot, and new artists will address the new context so maybe Mm -hmm. the new context is the web being social so artists will address that and maybe the new context is apps and maybe the new context is the camera or Mm -hmm. maybe the new context is uh, cryptocurrencies etc so because technology is moving fast you'll have a lot of things that address the moment yeah yeah, I guess the the point is maybe (laughs) maybe the good point is there's nothing left to explore in the browser the browser is kind of settled like you don't see much changing is it, about it. Uh, is there anything in the browser that, uh, f- for example, it gets tricky because it, ideologically you want a website to work the same on every for every user on every computer. But mm-hmm. for example, Google Docs works a little bit better in Chrome than in other browsers. So it's it's an incentive. It, it makes I, the product. I, I more just sticky. think the differences are not as radical as they once were. Like, yeah. and the, my choices are kind of like I don't really. I'm not. I actually don't have very staunch preferences. Like. 
I could be on Chrome and then like for a little while go back to Safari. Oh, I guess I'll try Fire. Like, and it's all relatively the same. It's come Yeah, it's more like uh, oh, that one manages bookmarks a little slicker. Or that one <laughs> renders JavaScript a little faster. And, and I know that right now Mozilla and Firefox, they're trying to become the most innovative platform again, like trying to push out new ideas. It sounds like the most innovative platform now is not the browser, but it's the blockchain and it's the dark web. And like that's where completely right. different things are happening. No, no, of course it is. And like um, And that's kind of the, like the, the blockchain is kind of a browser as well. It's a different kind of browser, yeah. It's yeah. like it's a different kind of network too. And and at torrents are pretty new. That's a new way of distributing information and uh, Oh, the torrents have been around long period. I mean, yeah, but uh, not as long as browsers. It's, right. it's funny these things are so um uh, did you ever read the articles about the guy who made BitTorrent and, and why he made it and how and one thing that was funny to me is he was trying to so for our users that don't know probably everybody's used Torrent but with Torrents the idea is that you take parts of a file from many people mm-hmm. and, and you recombine so you, them you recombine them because classically you download from one server and it sends the file 400 megabytes and takes 10 minutes and here it's like, oh, a lot of people are downloading this file, so they can start sharing immediately, even if they haven't downloaded the full file. So it's one of those things that seems very obvious now, but that was a pretty... Yeah, it was a huge uh, huge thing, a revolution and, uh, for piracy, yeah. of course, but also just for data transfer and speeds. Yeah, I think well. if, if you... Distributed... If you if you want a new version of a, a Linux system, then it's probably that kind of distribution. I don't even... I don't use Linux. But we're getting we're verging into to non-browser specific territory and potentially subject. Well, to but maybe what I'm getting at is that you're asking, well, are we getting past the scrolling page and and mm-hmm. and those kind of interface details? But no, we made other leaps in browsers. Yeah, but I think maybe that's the good point though, which is like, okay, newspapers haven't changed at all as like besides getting on the internet. But like, if you go get a paper newspaper at the corner store, it looks like the other paper. Like the standards have been established, right? And those it's done right like everyone's moved on to other things i don't know the browser's going to stick around i think but you're not going to see much new happen to it everyone's saying that's going to be vr or this but that's not going to happen in the browser it's going to be in no. some yeah so we'll form. have many different platforms and, and the web is just a great way to look at word pages that's really what it's best at it seems so boring to say that, but I just can't see any. I'm very rare. It's very rare that I can't see past what exists to like something new. <laughs> you're eating too much bit of food. You're becoming an old man. Yeah, like I'm, old, I'm like this like tab based interface is it's locked in. It's like they haven't innovated on how dishwashers much, or 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 face razors or anything in a hundred years. With with fresh books, how much of it is time spent in the app and how much in the browser? More time is spent in browser because people still work on their desktop computers. So they'll use a phone as a companion, but most people still don't don't do their work as it's a It's also a bigger screen, so if it's it's like looking at a spreadsheet just works better on the bigger screen. Yeah. The thing we keep hearing over and over again, which probably is no surprise to anyone, is that people just it's more screens, not one screen versus another screen. So Yeah, but it like looking at Instagram on the web is not as fun as looking on your phone and looking at a spreadsheet is better. So it, certain content works better on certain screens. Yeah, and definitely ours being like you know, a lot of data entry um, or like reviewing data, it, you can see more on, on a larger screen. So people tend to use it. But you could say it's chicken and egg because we haven't have invested as much in the experiences on our mobile 
apps, but then you can't fit as much into the screen without it feeling like complicated and oh, there's a whole episode on mobile Ooh. design. <laughs> <laughs> there's like there's a long a long story to tell there. Yeah. Uh, but for now, the browser is a humble and loyal, functional service it's commodity. Yeah, it's, it's like, like a, it's like the sidewalk of the internet. It's, it's just like a, there. Yeah, it's si- yeah, that's a great example. It is. It's just like a sidewalk. It's like. Uh, Actually, you know what? It reminds me. We should get into to- conversations about uh, this horrible trend towards mixed reality. This is for another episode. Magic but, like, Leap? You- yeah, but like, no, there's interfaces now where they ask you to walk around. Like on the new AR kit, like a lot of the AR kit experiences, all these AR examples, people want you to like use your physical body to move around digital spaces. And it reminds me of when the Kinect first came out and it gets back to being yeah. lazy. Open Netflix and you have to wave your arms. You know, like, yeah, when Nintendo Wii came out, everyone was excited to stand up and play tennis with their grandparents. Then they realized that they could just like flick the, the, the controller barely. With the wrist, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And eat chips at the same time. <laughs> anyway, that's a, that's for another episode. I know you've always wanted to talk that's about laziness. That's a browser, yeah. 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 But uh, for now, let's just, um, yeah, let's just uh, thank our loyal friend, the browser. <laughs> and we're going to get to our field recording. Yeah, what's our field recording today? Uh, I wrote it down, but I didn't. Where did I write it down? Uh, that's awkward. I'll just uh, read it from my Dropbox. Field recording. We have... Uh, a train and rain from Paloma Cop hmm, in Spain. No, it's it's a, <laughs> it's in New Orleans. I, uh, I was trying to make a joke about uh, the rain in Spain falls definitely on the plane. It's not, it's oh here, yeah, I, I wrote it down here. Paloma Cop. Uh, I live in New Orleans, Louisiana, at the corner of a small highway overpass and a freight train yard. Um, so we're gonna listen to freight trains. Is there a rain? Do you said on the train? So unprepared, it's embarrassing. <laughs> it rains almost every day here in summer. So yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Oh. All right. Well let's listen to the rain on the train. Thank you, Paloma Cop, for sending it in. And, Thank you so uh, much. Everybody send us stuff. Uh, we much appreciate it. We do appreciate the field recordings. I also appreciate when people let their friends know. Or it's back to school time. We should have done a back to school episode. Let your friends know if you're back in school. Hey, there's yep. this great podcast where guys, these two internet artists, or new media artists, just ramble. And if pe- <laughs> if people are in in New York next Friday, I have an opening with uh, abstract browsing tapestries. Oh yeah, we so didn't even we, talk about that. We can that. reflect on the the, the form, formal side of the web. Why didn't we talk about that? Yeah, yeah there's anyway. too much to announce. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, see you around and uh, enjoy the field recording from Paloma Cop. Thanks for listening to our rambling. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.